Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is with the first pick, the CBS Sports NFL Draft Podcast. Rick, this is episode 69 somehow. I'm Ryan Wilson. That's Rick Spielman. And last week... Rick and our guy Pete Prisco hit up training camps around Florida, and today Rick will answer some questions for us. So, Rick, I want one-word answers real quick as we get through these to tease the show, as they say. Number one, should we be all in on Trevor Lawrence and that hype in Jacksonville? Yes. Number two, should we be even more hyped for two in year two of Mike McDaniel's system in Miami? Yes. Oh, boy. Did you hear that, Debo? More hype than, than Trevor for Tua. And finally... And this is going to be a tough one-word answer because it's not really a one-word answer type question. But here we go. What should we make of the Bucks in the post-Tom Brady world? Yes, no. <laughs> All right, there you have it. <laughs> we'll be back Thursday for the next podcast. All right. I, I, I found out last week uh, doing some stuff on air. Then I don't think I've done this. On uh, the podcast, but I say yes, no all the time. You say it every time you begin an answer. I didn't want to say anything to you, but I, well, I know. Pointed that out to me. Of course, Prisco would point that out to <laughs> he me. Said he asked his lovely wife, why does Rick say yes, no all the time? <laughs> and I found out that that is a Midwestern slang that everybody in the Midwest uses yes, no. I say yes, no sometimes. And yes, no means yes, right? Like yes, no doesn't mean no. I don't know. I, I didn't even know I said it. So I appreciate Debo and his uh, teaching and, and improving our skills on the air. But apparently he doesn't pay attention to what we're saying. Debo and I, unlike Pete, care about people's feelings. So at the end of the day, it didn't matter I to me. No feelings. I've been in the league for 30 some years. There's no feelings left. <laughs> All right, Debo, you heard it. You got to start pointing out every little thing with Rick. We'll never get through the podcast. By the way, Rick has a flight to catch. He's going to see. Uh, his brother in the Lions in Detroit. So we're going to try to keep this quick. If he will quit, quit interrupting us with all his many flaws, uh, we can get through this podcast here. So yes, no, onward and upward. Uh, and by the way, because it's a draft podcast, we'll also look at Rick's training camp adventures through that lens, which means we'll talk about first round offensive lineman Anton Harrison as a possible starter in Tampa, possible starting roles for cornerback Cam Smith and running back Dev, uh, Devon A-Chain in Miami. And of course, honorary face of with the first pick, Cody Mock the interior offensive lineman and his expectations in Tampa as a possible starter at guard. All right, Rick. We can can just update this because I did get this, that Midwest language be like, no, yeah, means yes. Yeah, no, means no. Yeah, no, for sure. Definitely. No, yeah, no. Oh, no, you're fine. Yeah, no, yeah. I'm sorry, but unfortunately, the answer is yes. Did you know all those meanings before you read them? So someone sent that to me to clarify yes, no, no, yes. Oh, you actually asked follow-up questions after Pete brought it up? No, no. There were people, his wife sent that to Pete. 
because oh, okay. you understand why I use that terminology. I was going to say, looks like someone found the internet, but it was just a fact. <laughs> it wasn't me. <laughs> just email. Email is Rick's internet. Yeah, yeah, that's the internet. <laughs> it goes through the air, a series of tubes, and there you have it. All right, Rick, I'll ask you a quick question. Give me one team or one player, if you have it, that you were most impressed by during your Florida swing last week. Boy, there's there was a lot of opportunity to see a lot of things, but I'm going to say uh, – Trevor Lawrence and Tua were the two most impressive things that I've seen. Now, we'll talk about some of the rookies and some of the standouts that I saw that people aren't talking about. But it was a very informational (laughs) if that makes sense. Did uh, I'm trying to think. Did you do the training camp tour? You did the training camp tour last year. Did you Jacksonville, Miami? I did Jacksonville, Miami, Tampa, Indy, Cincinnati. um, And I can't remember the other I think All right, well, rack your brain while I do the rest of this intro because we're gonna. I'm gonna ask you for comparisons for Miami and Jacksonville, in particular, last year to this year with the quarterbacks. But in the meantime, in case you miss it, you can find our entire summer scouting school series in the old podcast feed, and we're now back to twice a week on the podcasting schedule. Make note of that. And finally, if you like what we do here, take a second, hit the thumbs up on the old YouTube. You can find us always at NFL and CBS. Or if the spirit moves, just subscribe and leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify because it helps us grow the show. It literally takes 15 seconds unless you're Rick, in which case it takes two hours, but you're not Rick, so go and do it. All right, let's get to it, Rick. So let's start in Jacksonville, and I'll come back to my first question. Can you compare Trevor Lawrence last year, year one of Doug Peterson during training camp, to what you saw last week with uh, him now entering year two and looking to be a, a completely different player? Yeah, that's just the same thing. We're going to say the same thing about Tua. Just being the second year in the system and how decisive his decision-making is, uh, you can tell right off the bat. But the one thing, and we had an opportunity to interview uh, Trevor Lawrence after practice, uh, came over on CBS HQ, and the one thing that he talked about is how much more comfortable where he doesn't have to think to get through his progressions. He knows where to go with the ball. It just comes natural to him. And I think that is why you've seen him make the progress he made from the first half of the year to the second half of the year. And especially in that playoff win when they were down 27 to nothing and he threw those four interceptions. Mm. And his resiliency on how he came back and how he brought that team back and how he played in the second half, I think that is definitely going to be a springboard going forward on what we're going to see this year from Trevor Lawrence. The other thing that really stuck out at yep. the uh, training camp was that his ability to make off-schedule throws. They did some red zone stuff, um, and him moving around in the pocket, him keeping his eyes downfield, him putting touch on the ball, just all the things you see an elite quarterback do. You saw Trevor Lawrence making those type of throws during practice. Let me ask you something, because we hear this a lot, and you mentioned it with Tua and, and Trevor just now, second year, grown into the system. These guys have been playing football for 15 years. What is the leap so huge from big-time college football to the NFL that even the best players on the planet Earth need time to adjust? Because Joe Burrow didn't need a ton of time, and he's probably the exception, but everyone else, it feels like they need time. So what are they adjusting to? Well, yeah, Joe Burrow, I mean, he was good his rookie year, but he blew out his ACL. Right. It wasn't the Joe Burrow we see now. The difference is their ability to identify what they're seeing in their pre-snap reads and then post-snap 
when defenses change what they're showing. So they may be showing a zone or they may be showing cover two with two safeties. And all of a sudden after the snap, it rotates. It's only single high safety. So a lot of gamemanship that goes on at the NFL that you don't see in college. But when you understand the system and you don't go have to go out there and think, and when you read and recognize what you saw and you can get through your progressions, oh yeah, the coverage just changed on my pre-snap read. I know where to go with the ball now without thinking about it. That's what you see from year one to year two in the same system. And it's fair to say that even though college, the the Big Ten, the SEC, uh, Big 12 are played at a high level, those defenses are incredibly simplified when compared to NFL defenses, right? Yeah. No, I just think that's more complicated and defenses do a better job of disguising what pre-snap and post-snap are. And an example of that was down in Miami when we saw Vic Fangio and a lot of the things that he's doing. So um, where they don't see all the complications uh, on the defensive side at the collegiate level that you see at the NFL level. And I'll circle back to, to the draft part of this. And you've talked about how difficult this has been and how you're thought process evolved over the course of your 30 years in the NFL, but how do you evaluate that when you're looking for a quarterback who hasn't seen the looks that you know he's going to see in the NFL? Right. That's when we tried to identify the mental quickness score. The intelligence score, you have to pay, be intelligent to play the position, but you also have to process quickly. And some guys are smart, but they can't process quickly. And those are the guys that end up struggling. But when you identify that they can mentally uh, identify quickly what they're seeing on the defensive side of the ball. Now it still takes time. It still takes reps. You have to see it. You have to make the mistakes. You have to learn from the mistakes. But when you have that mental quickness score or the ability to process quickly, uh, it makes all the difference in the world. Okay. Let's talk about, um, well, first, before we talk about Trevon Walker, the first overall pick in the 2022 draft, are you on the Pete Briscoe hype train for Trevor Lawrence winning MVP? Uh, no, but okay. I do think that he will be up there. We have a little side bet. Uh, you got a lot of side bets. So, yeah, but I don't know. I don't understand the side bets because Pete never pays up. <laughs> That's the bet. Yeah. <laughs> if he pays, you win the bet. He ain't going to pay. All right, let's talk about Trevon Walker, the the first overall pick out of Georgia uh, from a year and a half ago now. And okay, rookie season, but I think the expectations were that it was going to be a learning process. What should the expectations be for him now? Um, he's playing, looks like outside linebacker, defensive end. I'm not sure what his role is going to be. He's incredibly athletic, but just the lack of experience on that Georgia defense lends one to think that it's going to take time. I think what, at least what I saw down there, and I had an opportunity to see some of the one-on-one offensive defensive linemen go against each other, was that Trayvon Walker is now starting to put pass rush moves together. Instead of looking... I don't want to say mechanical or thinking A, B, C. A, I speed rush. B, I counter to the inside. C, I counter spin back to the outside and find a quarterback. Now it looks more natural to him. He's still learning, but you can see the difference. Just like we just talked about the quarterback and processing, it's the same thing on the defensive side of the ball where you see Trayvon Walker now starting to put pass rush combination moves together where he doesn't have to go by the numbers. He's actually just letting his athletic skill set stick out 
and he looks more natural when he's using pass rush moves. And he has a pass rush plan where sometimes these young pass rushers just try to rely on their athletic skill set. But at the NFL level, when you're going against the top tackles, you have to have a plan. And you see him starting to put a plan together and becoming more natural at that. So Josh Allen is obviously uh, one of the edge rushers on this team. Caleb on chase on a former first round pick. Uh, let me ask you this. Who has more sacks this year? Trevon Walker or your guy, Will Anderson at Houston? Ooh, I'm going to say Will Anderson. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I don't know what Trevon's role is going to be and how this is going to translate, but um, popped into my head. So I thought I'd ask you, all right, let's talk about rookies from this class for, for the Jaguars. Uh, in the first round, they took Anton Harrison, the offensive tackle out of, out of Oklahoma. What are the chances we see him start right away? Well, down there, when we were down there, they had uh, Walker Little starting on the left side, and then Anton Harris starting on the Harrison starting on the right side. So I asked uh, Trent Balky about how big of a transition is that when you play left tackle to go over to the right side. They didn't think that it was a concern down there. He has, They had told me he had played some right tackle in the past, although it's a different position. Um, but they're trying to find their best five combination now, which was disappointing is the day we were down there. He banged his shoulder up, and I didn't get an opportunity to see him in a one-on-one pass rush situations, and they kind of held him out. So I could tell you this, that Walker Little looks very natural as a left offensive tackle, the kid out of Stanford they drafted a few years ago. And Cam Robinson, as you know, is going to be uh, suspended for, their, for the first part of the season. So they're going to have to figure out when Cam Robinson comes back, what's their best five combination? What if Walker Little is playing very well at left tackle? Do they slide him inside the guard? Uh, and then put Cam Robinson there. But they're really banking on Anton Harrison coming in and being a rookie starter, right tackle. Yeah, in fact, I think Trevor talked to you guys about Walker Little, who started one game last year, maybe didn't play a lot, opted out of the COVID year, I believe, had injuries prior to that, so he ended up being a third-round pick. But it, it's, you know, I suppose it's the quarterback's job to talk up his offensive lineman, but you got the sense that he felt comfortable with Walker Little there. And you think Walker Little uh, most likely entrenched there because of Cam's suspension? Oh, yeah, he'll start definitely at left tackle. Okay. And, I, and I'm guessing that uh, once that shoulder comes, it'll be interesting to see these guys and follow them in the preseason. <clears throat> but, uh, you know, like I said, I have no concerns just coming out. What I saw at training camp um, that Walker Little uh, manning down that left offensive tackle position. And that's his most natural position. That's what he played in college. And, and he was pretty hyped up except for the injuries and the COVID year and all that stuff, potentially being a first-round pick at left tackle. That's right. As a general manager, and let's say the Vikings weren't playing in the Hall of Fame game, would you go back and watch that coach's film, or you didn't care enough to watch it? The Hall of Fame game? Yeah, in terms of players that might be on the market in oh, a month I, or so. Oh, yeah. No, that everybody is itching because all you're doing <laughs> – for the first two weeks has been watching the team practice. And I remember it was like Christmas as soon as the Hall of Fame came in. Everybody was like sitting there watching the personnel, watching guys that made okay. better on it. Yeah, no, that was uh, that was very exciting to watch uh, watch the uh, Hall of Fame preseason game for our personnel 
from a personnel standpoint. Well, I'm glad you said that because we're going to talk about that game in a second. Some of the players in that game, um, DTR, of course, Doreen Thompson Robinson, but our guy, Dewan Jones had a good game too. We'll talk about that in, in uh, a little later in the show. So if you're a huge Browns guy and want to hear positive things about the Browns, hang around. All right. The uh, Jaguars second round pick was a surprise to a lot of people. Um, I like Brent Strange coming out the tight end out of Penn state. I think you liked them too. They have a lot of good tight ends on this team. They re-upped Evan Ingram. They have Luke Farrell, who they drafted a few years ago, and now Strange. So they have three guys that are going to make the roster as a tight end. Is there any role for Brenton Strange as a rookie? Because he's a pretty good blocker. Yeah, no, and that's what they talked about down there. And he was rolling in with the ones in their two tight ends. Oh, set. okay. Uh, and they had him at H-back, and they talked about the unique skill set he has as a blocker. He's His tenacity to try to finish blocks. Um he had a good camp down there. He's still, I think, uh, not recognized for his athleticism in the passing game, but I think he's a very good athlete and can catch the ball very well. But to be honest with you, the guy that stuck out the most, and they're going to have a tough cut, is this uh, Garrett Prince, who came out of UAB, I believe, a few years ago. Yeah, he's a big guy, right? Yeah, but boy, did he stick out in the red zone, in the red zone, uh, and had uh, numerous catches, and he's kind of been the star of the camp. So. To me, that tight end room is uh, a very strong room, and they're going to have a tough cut to make unless they keep three or four tight ends. Now, Strange isn't going to go anywhere. He was their second-round pick. And, um, you know, they just extended uh, Everett. So Ingram, yeah. Or Ingram, Evan Ingram. So they, they have more than enough weapons at the tight end position. So it'd be interesting to see how that all plays out at the end. There's no way you keep four tight ends though. If you don't keep a fullback, you can keep four tight ends. And it also depends on what you keep at the other position. So as you balance out your 53, okay, if we're going to keep four tight ends, that means maybe we're only keeping five receivers. You have to balance out. Okay. If a domino effect, if you want to keep these four, then someone has to go. Let me ask you about this little uh, organizational trick that you see around the league and starting around this time of year, when you put a rookie on IR it, and you know, you don't want to cut them, you, you draft them, you, you have hopes for them in the future. There's no place for them on the roster right now. You can't not going to put them on the practice squad because you're afraid that he might not be around. So you put them on IR and oftentimes the injury might be a hamstring or an ankle, something that shouldn't last six months. What, what's the, is there any pushback from the league from that? I guess I should ask because it's clear that the, the now, kid's not hurt. What you have to do if you waive them injured, this is the procedure. Okay. He has to clear waivers. So if he clears waivers, then he goes and reverts to your IR list, um, which means, okay, I'm going to waive this player. Let's say it's a six round pick and you don't know if you want to keep him or not. You waive him injured. He goes on the waiver wire. He clears. No one claims him. Then he reverts to your IR. Then if you don't want him around, you have five business days after that to come up with some kind of injury settlement. Usually that may be a, uh, maybe one or two game checks along with the rest of the training camp, depending on how it works out. If you cannot come up with an injury settlement, then that player stays on your IR. You rehab him until he's healthy. Then you can waive him uh, healthy off your injured reserve. And a lot of times... They're going to want a second opinion. You go back, and uh, it becomes a little bit of a mess. So, well, let me ask you this though: What if he's like a fourth round pick? You know, he needs a redshirt year. You don't have no intentions of cutting him, and you just put him on the IR, like you did at training if camp. Go straight to IR, then he's done for the year. 
Yeah, but is that a is that a sort of a, a backdoor way of keeping a player on the roster without taking up a roster spot because you want him and you just slap him on IR even though he's not technically. Right, but then you're making that decision that okay, he's not going to be able to practice for right. a year, and so you're basically wasting a year of development with that player. Oh, so they can't practice if they're on IR. No, no, you're oh. done. Okay, so that's the workaround. So the league says you can put whoever you want on IR, but he can't be out there practicing four days a week. No, he can rehab and go to meetings, but he can't practice. Oh, okay, so that's a trade-off. That's the question I had because I know around this time of year, we see teams put rookies on IR who they don't want to cut, but the trade-off is they can't practice. So, okay, so that actually stunts their development. So that's a that's a conversation you got to figure out. All right. I'll ask a couple more questions about the Jaguars. We'll get this thing moving because you got things to do. Uh, right now uh, on the roster, running back, of course, uh, Travis Etienne is going to be a big part of what they do, but they drafted Tank Bixby out of Auburn. Um, yeah, I thought he had a good season last year. Any clue as to what his role might be uh, behind Travis Etienne? Because I'd imagine he's going to get some carries during the course of a game. Yeah, no, he looked off the part, everything that you've seen uh, coming out of Auburn on a college tape. I, I really liked him because I think he it runs like a big back. He has excellent contact balance. He's always going forward, and they see him as their definite number two running back in that I don't different style than ETN is. But yeah. I think when you have to run the ball, that you're going to see a lot of Tank Bigsby in the game. So I'm looking at the uh, defensive side of the ball. And um, they drafted Ventral Miller, which I was sort of surprised they drafted him fourth. We were at that pro day, and he he was at Florida forever and a big part of their defense. I didn't know if he had the athleticism to to be a, a top 100 pick or whatever in the NFL, but more power to him. Uh, they drafted Antonio Johnson, the safety out of Texas A&M that uh, I thought was going to go a little higher. And then our guy Christian Braswell out of Rutgers. Any of those names in terms of rookies stick out? And and you see Abdullah, too, who I liked out of Louisville, as possible contributors, not starters necessarily, but guys who can come in and help that football team. Yeah, they talked about Abdullah a lot as maybe contributing as a pass rusher this year. Um, and I watched him. He has some an explosive first step off the snap. He just has to learn how to use his hands a little better in the one-on-one drills I watched. Uh, they're very excited about Antonio Johnson. They thought they got great value for him where they selected him. Do we know why he dropped? Uh, I don't know why he dropped, to be honest with you. He ended up going uh, in the fifth round. I thought he was a top 50 guy, but okay, go ahead. Yeah, so Cisco actually got banged up a little bit, was limited at practice the day we were there. Uh, Wingard ended up starting, but you've seen a lot of Antonio Johnson. I think that he will be very good on special teams and be a backup this year. And I see him when I don't believe that they will uh, extend Rayshon Jenkins. So I can see Antonio Johnson kind of playing that role on special teams and a backup and coming in and fighting for a starting spot next year the two guys that were most impressive to me were braswell the and i know you liked him at rutgers i think he has a fighting chance to get some play time and then hallett eric hallett was another guy that was a little surprised to me and he made a couple plays uh down at practice so those two guys they had spoken very highly of and showing some of the uh, playmaking ability that we've seen in college but Braswell has a legit chance to get some significant play time on the defensive side of the ball as of today. So Christian Hallett, uh, excuse me, Christian Braswell is a, a nickel out of Rutgers who we're talking about here. And then Eric Hallett is a safety out of Pittsburgh. He wasn't even on my radar during the draft process. Five, nine and a half, um, 190. Yeah, but they're playing him at Nick as well. 
Okay, great. He's listed a strong safety, but he's also in the conversation for for nickel. Yeah, All but right. a guy like that, for example, if he shows up in the preseason uh, and let's say they play him at Nick, uh, he is definitely maybe a candidate for practice squad. Yep. Um, just because of some of the things he's shown, at least when we were down there early in camp. But I think uh, both Braswell, Johnson, and Abdullah on defense end up making a 53. What you also may see is something similar to Philadelphia last year where they drafted all those rookies that they didn't have a significant initial role. Yep. Um, but a year from now, a lot of these guys are going to have significant roles. The other guy, just to mention, that uh, has made big jumps from last year was Lloyd, the linebacker they drafted. I know um, my buddy Pete Prisco, who is the mayor of Jacksonville unofficially, was concerned about why they would draft Devin Lloyd and Chad Muma in the same class. And Devin Lloyd struggled a little bit last year. He got benched. I think they changed his position, or no? Is he still playing? No, he's still playing linebacker. Okay. But what you'll see is because they have to generate better pass rush because that'll help the back end. And one of the things that Lloyd did so well in college was rush the passer, especially yep. when he was blitzing. So I am anticipating you seeing him uh, blitzing a lot more and being in addition to uh, everyone else that they use in pass rush. This defense feels like it's going to be pretty good. <laughs> a lot of they young guys. Opportunity if they put it all together, they should be uh, they're pretty good. They just got to rush the passer better than they did last year. Mike Caldwell, defensive coordinator, offensive coordinator, brother of Zach Taylor. Press yep, Taylor. Press Taylor. Very, very got an opportunity to speak with him on the side a little bit. Uh, and don't be surprised as a year or two from now, he's going to be mentioned in uh, some of the head coaching circles. Uh, He'll be in the Ben Johnson conversation. Yes, he will. Now, are you, uh, did you know the Taylors before? Do they run in your circles or no? Yeah. Yes. Zach, Zach Taylor, I actually meant met him on the sideline at a Cincinnati Bearcat game when uh, he was the offensive coordinator for the Cincinnati Bearcats. Uh, and so I've known uh, the Taylors. First time I really sat down and talked with press, but okay. I've known Zach in the past. You've known everybody forever. All right, Debo says we got to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the Tua hype train right after this. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of ten hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. 
Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, Rick. We talked last week in Tampa, then you drove down to Miami. You hightailed it down there. Uh, no doubt speeding the whole way, but we won't talk about that. And here's what, and I'm sure you've heard this, Pete Prisco has liked to say about Tua throughout Tua's tenure. No fire in the belly. By that, he meant he didn't seem like a, a natural-born leader. He's soft-spoken, so on and so forth. Uh, Tua suffered the hip injury uh, midway through his final year at Alabama. Um, was up and down early on year one. Year two, I thought he was really good until he got the, the concussions. And now we're in year three, year two with new coach Mike McDaniel. And this roster is stacked offensively. Four now, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, is it year four for Tua? Yeah. Oh, wow. Time's flying. Okay, thank you. Year four for Tua. Last year, I thought he did pretty well before the, the concussions. Year two with Mike McDaniel, the, the coach uh, who was the uh, run game coordinator from San Francisco. This offense is stacked. You saw two in person. What would you think? Yeah, no, he is physically looks bigger. Uh, you don't realize how thick he is through his hips and his lower. Uh, he talked a lot about down there, but talked about taking jujitsu classes and learning how to fall so he doesn't bang his head against the turf to maybe yeah. prevent the concussions. But I don't know how you do that when you can't see a 6'5", 260-pound guy beaming right. your backside. I don't know how you're going to fall. You're going to fall in sections as soon as he uh, hits you. But just like Trevor Lawrence, this he looks very decisive. His arm actually looks stronger, very accurate with uh, his throws. Uh, totally different feeling than what you saw what we saw initially last year. We saw him in the spring when we went down to mini camp, and you can see from spring to where he's at right now. He is, uh, if he can stay healthy, uh, he is definitely going to be one of the top tier quarterbacks in the AFC. So, look, the conversation starts with Josh Allen in Buffalo, and then probably Aaron Rodgers in New York because of the the hype train with Aaron Rodgers. Do you, what are the percent chance you give the Dolphins to win in this division? I, I like the Dolphins. Now. I really liked them before Jalen Ramsey went down. Yeah. But was that the MCL? Is that what it was? Uh, no, he had a meniscus. So, oh, so that's short term. Well, here's the difference. Okay. And I don't know because I don't know. You know, they say he may not come back until December. Oh, oh, so, I didn't know that. Just experiencing that type of injury. When you tear your meniscus, if it's just a clean out or it's just partly shaven off some of the meniscus, you can come back in maybe four weeks. Um, but if you tore that meniscus down the middle, they actually go in there and sew the meniscus back together. That takes time. Aha. Uh, I'm assuming that why they're saying potentially he won't be back until December is because that's the type of surgery that he had. Well, but I don't have that for a fact. I'm just going off experience. Reading between the lines, yeah. Meniscus is, uh, I think it basically serves as a cushion between your uh, your your shin bone and your, and your knee, if I recall correctly. Again, not a doctor. Don't take my medical advice. Oh, Rick, no. is, Rick is shaking his oh. head. <laughs> <laughs> Two-time ACL well, survivor speaking. Uh, seriously, a shin bone? I haven't heard that. Your shin. I didn't say shin bone. I said your shin. You said shin bone. All right. What do you call it? Huh? You heard me. There's a, tibia, there's a fibula. There's a <laughs> fibia, tibia, tibia and fibula. That's what it is. Two idiots talking about human anatomy here. <laughs> you, I should have stopped. You were, you gave very insightful answer about the meniscus, which is actually useful. And then I had to pipe up. 
I apologize. Debo, delete that on the uh, on the YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> Dr. Nick here. De- Debo has the uh, I'm a doctor gif. Uh, Debo notes that this these numbers won't mean anything to you, Rick, but Debo notes that the Dolphins are plus 290 to win the division, which means that if you are a Dolphins fan, Vegas thinks that you're crazy and you can make some money if you have a lot of confidence in the Dolphins. Um, you can bet 100 bucks to win 290 bucks, And by comparison... The Bills are at plus 120, so you bet 100 bucks, win 120 bucks, and the Jets are plus 250, so 100 to win 250. Um, so you're still like, would you pick the Dolphins to win, or you're not quite willing to go that far? Uh, I'm going to go out on a limb and say I, I would put my money if I bet more than a dollar, which I never do. Yeah, uh, I would put my money on the Dolphins. And this is because Tua, of course, but do you think it's going to be Mike McDaniel leaning into this run game, which will help Tua, obviously? I believe that. I believe that with Vic Fangio as the expert oh, right. on defense, and I also believe that Mike McDaniel, if everything he learned his first time as a rookie head coach and some of the mistakes that he made, uh, I think he will grow as a head coach. But to go down the hall and have Vic Fangio there to bounce ideas off or to ask questions on a guy who's been in that position, I think will pay off huge dividends for the uh, – Miami Dolphins. No, that's a great point. And that's probably, you could argue that Fangio's most important offseason acquisition they made. Yes, uh, by Probably more important than a healthy Jalen Ramsey if you have a different defensive coordinator. Well, it's nice to have someone to cover, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that does help. All right. Speaking of which, look, you drafted, you only had four, four picks. And it wasn't until the second round that you picked in your first selection. Are you sure? Did they have five or four? One, two, three, four. I think I had four on here. You okay. can double check for me. But their first selection late in the second round was Cam Smith, the cornerback out of South Carolina, who, I don't know, he he didn't live up to the hype that I thought. I know there were some maturity concerns off the field. Whatever. He's now in camp in Miami. He's going to have to play a lot of football. What are the expectations for a rookie cornerback, even one who's athletic as Cam Smith, when he has to replace someone like Jalen Ramsey? Yeah, when we were down there at minicamp, you could see him. You can see the athleticism, but – you can see him struggling a little bit with understanding the scheme, understanding the concepts. Uh, you've seen him take strides when we were down there uh, last week. Uh, he got, he did get his hands on a couple of balls. Uh, you can see the athleticism. You can see he can play man coverage. Uh, to me, it was just the awareness and zone, and I think that's coming. The more he get, the more comfortable he gets in the defensive scheme. Hey, Rick, is it fair to say that it's tougher for rookies, defensive backs, cornerbacks in particular, to play zone than man? Because man, all you're doing is covering your dude. Yeah, I got that cat. It's called cat coverage. Yeah, um, but in zone, yeah, because of the different concepts and understanding who, where you have help over top, where you don't, uh, you know, with the nick, where your help is inside, what leverage you're playing on a receiver. So if you're in a certain zone coverage, you may have to play inside leverage versus outside leverage. It's just a lot more complicated than people think in zone coverage. And you're to your point about the other positions we've talked about, especially quarterback, you have to think about all these things at edge rusher too. You're not playing football, you're doing the math. And then the next thing you know, Calvin Ridley Jr. is running past you or Tyreek Hill in practice is running past you because you're you're trying to get from A to C. And right. you get stuck on B and, you know, Tyreek's hit 100 miles per hour and, and that's a wrap. Yep. Yeah, that's the biggest thing. And once they're able to understand the concepts and understand the leverage or the technique that's being taught, 
and do not have to think about it, that's when you start to see them excel because they can play without going by the numbers and then just utilize their athletic skill set. So like when you see a wide open blown coverage, typically sometimes that's the mistake. Like someone's playing zone and everyone else is playing man or vice versa. What are the expectations in the regular season when games are on the line? If you're like, I don't know what kind of coach Vic Fangio is in terms of whether he's a yeller or he's just calmly talks to people. But when you come to the sideline, if you're Cam Smith and you blow coverage, give an 80 yard touchdown. How do you, you know, that's going to happen. Like what is the approach in terms of dealing with that in game? Cause you don't want to crush a young player's confidence, but you also need to start making plays. No, I think it's more, um, and nowadays maybe different than the old school when you used to get a foot up your rear end. <laughs> <laughs> and my dad was a high school, old school coach <laughs> with me and my brother. I can tell you stories that I don't even want to get into. <laughs> God rest his soul, but you know, nowadays you can't do some of the things that they were able to do back in the day. Right. But I think it's just teaching and learning and teaching and learning. And you're hoping to me, if you make a mistake, hopefully you're making a lot of them now uh, that you can utilize that as a teaching tool. And sometimes when you make a mistake, it makes you a better player because then you know not to do this, but you have to get corrected in order to get better in my opinion. And that all goes back to the pre-draft process. Can this player take coaching and how kind of coaching does he take and how I would imagine you have conversations about how best to coach this player. If we do draft him, whether good cop, bad cop, whatever, right? Yeah, no, there's some players, and that's why you do all these psychological testing. Uh, uh, this guy's going to respond to this type of coaching. This guy's going to respond to this type of coaching. Some guys need a foot near rear end, and that's how they respond. Other guys, if you do that, then they go in a tank, and you can't get them out. So there's different ways. And we used to get individual reports from our psychological test results explaining to the coaches what's the best way to get to this guy what's the best way he learns what's the best way to coach him and hopefully it's not like back in the day where everybody's sitting in a room you're all getting coached the same way nowadays it's almost like you have to have an individualized plan on who you're coaching and how he's going to respond yeah it's like my wife's a teacher you have to have an individual education plan for each kid yep I hear about it from the principal. The principal's the owner. <laughs> All right, let's talk about Devon A-Chain. A-Chain, I, 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 you're usually I'm the name guy. I think it's is it Devin A-Chain. I always forget. He told us yes, too. A-Chain. A-Chain. What's his role going to be? Because he's an absolute firecracker, undersized, but he will run between the tackles. He offers a little bit in the past game. We know that running is going to be incredibly important to what they do. They have Mostert. They have Jeff Wilson, both from San Francisco. Uh, they have Ahmed, who came, uh, who's been there for a few years out of Washington, Miles Gaskin, and then they have A Chain. So I feel like A Chain's going to get a lot of looks. He feels like a Tyree Kill that can line up in the backfield because of his speed, and he makes that offense that much more explosive. Yeah, no, you can see the speed and the explosiveness. And when he hit some of the creases in the running game, he was at the second level or on top of the secondary before you even knew it. Uh, and his ability to drop his weight and show as elusive as he is, uh, is going to have a lot of explosive plays. Now, I think they'll get him the ball in a lot of different ways, not only as a runner, but jet sweeps, um, maybe some things coming out of the slot, uh, quick hitting screens to get him in space so he can utilize his speed and athleticism. 
And, you know, some quarterbacks aren't good at throwing short accurately and on time. That's one of the things Tua excels at. He gets the ball out quickly. He usually gets the ball in a casual position for the. It's amazing when you sit there and watch practice how quickly the ball comes out of Tua's hands. And that is on quick screens and all. The whole offense seems like let's just get the ball out, get it in the playmaker's <laughs> hands, and let's have a track meet and, and let them do their deal. But how quick the ball comes out of Tua's hands in this offense and the way this offensive scheme set up, it's set up for all these speed athletic playmakers to get the ball in their hands as quickly as possible, although they're going to take their shots downfield and do a lot of normal things. But the quicker you can get the ball in, into some of these guys' hands – that's going to lead to a lot of explosive plays. Tyreek, Jalen Waddle, Mostert and Wilson are burners. A-chain's a burner. A-chain's a burner, excuse me. And, and Tua looks to be in form. So great news for Miami. Rick's a Miami guy. We'll see how this works out. If Tua's in quarterback. If not, then it's going to be a different season. Yeah, fair enough. You can say that about anyone. Mike White is also now uh, in Miami after spending time last year with the Jets, where he outplayed Zach Wilson, but that's a conversation for another time. Let's go to Tampa Bay, and I'll just read you the stat. This isn't about any of the, the rookies or young players, but I would imagine this. Let me ask you, are you concerned if you're a general manager and you see this uh, stat? Buccaneers quarterback Baker Mayfield has thrown seven interceptions and nine practices so far in training camp. This is according to Greg Allman, who uh, now covers the uh, NFC South for, for Fox Sports. Yeah, we saw we were at a practice Tuesday night, <laughs> and he threw another one. So I don't know where, where it was at. So, yeah, that is a concern. You can't turn the ball over. Uh, and when we were down there in the spring, there was no question that, and I talked to Pete about this, uh, is that we thought that Baker Mayfield was the number one guy hands down. And then uh -oh. also during training camp, we watched Trout, uh, Kyle Trask, and we watched them on Tuesday night, and Kyle Trask ran with the number one offense on Tuesday night, and he has much improved with his decision-making and how quick he gets the ball out. Uh, he's not the athlete that Baker Mayfield is. Uh, Doesn't have the arm strength that Baker has? I don't know. I would disagree with you there. Really? Because arm strength was a question, quotation marks, coming out of Florida. No, I thought he had plenty of arm talent. Okay, that's good. Uh, on, on a lot of the throws that he was making. And then Thursday morning, we went out to practice before we headed to Miami. And then Baker Mayfield uh, took the number one reps. And then he looked a lot better Thursday morning as a number one than he did uh, taking backup reps on Tuesday night. So this is a lot closer competition. We talked to a lot of players. We had them on camera. And everybody down there was kind of, I would say, not pleasantly surprised, but also pleasantly pleased that uh, Kyle Trask has started to close the gap on Baker Mayfield. I still think Baker Mayfield will be the starter because Baker Mayfield is a better athlete. When they do play actions, when they get him out on boots, things like that, Baker Mayfield is better at that. But Kyle Trask is pocket passer tall he's got a good enough arm better arm strength than you said that yeah i anticipated as well and a much more accurate thrower a much better decision maker than he was so, when we saw him in uh minicamp so as a general manager you're not making decisions on who starts and who who doesn't start but this feels like not worst case scenario but a huge pain in the butt 
because you thought Baker was going to be the guy. You thought Kyle would be the backup. And now you're having to have a conversation midway through camp about who the starter is going to be. And you also understand that if Kyle is the starter coming into year three or year four and he struggles, then in week three, you're going to have to go back to Baker. So uh, are these things that are going through your head as general manager? Or you're like, well, it is what it is. Well, as a general manager, you're excited because you drafted Kyle Trask. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Fair enough. <laughs> But I think a lot of that comes down to the coaches make those decisions. The general manager doesn't. Right. And so whoever gives us the best opportunity to win, that's what the coaches get paid a lot of money to do on who's the starter, who's going to play on Sundays, who's going to give us the best chance to win. All right. Let's talk about uh, the short arm crew, the first two draft picks for the Bucks. Um, Kalijah Kansi and, and Cody Mal. Kalijah Kansi is the uh, interior defensive lineman out of Pitt, and Cody Mock is out of South Dakota State. South Dakota, I always get it confused. North Dakota, South Dakota. North Dakota State. North Dakota State. The green and yellow. Um, we talked to Cody at the Combine. He was great. Rick gave him a hard time about being on time or something. I don't even remember what you were yelling at him about. But um, did you get a chance to see both these guys? Were they both in practice? And if so, how did they look? Yeah, no. Malk was practicing. Malk, he's a starting right guard. He's penciled in since day one. Uh, very impressive. He had no issues making a transition from left tackle to inside a guard. I think we saw glimpses of that down at the senior bowl when he yep. was down there. Uh, but he was very technique sound and one-on-one pass pros watching him. He's, he's got mock. I would say he's got that grit to him <laughs> in his game. Uh, yeah. so I think he's day one starter right off. Yep. Uh, Cancy on the other hand popped his calf. So, uh. He was walking around in a boot down at training camp. I don't know how long that's going to be. If he'll be, he won't be ready uh, for the rest of the preseason. The question is, will he be ready for their opener when they go up to Minnesota or not? So, also, I mentioned a couple other players who who were uh, in that draft class from Cincinnati. Trey Palmer, we saw down at the Senior Bowl, the wide receiver out of Nebraska. He he ran past everyone at the Senior Bowl. I think he had some off field issues, and that's why he slipped a little bit. Have you seen? Did you get a chance to see him at all? Yeah, no, he was you, – you could see the speed that you saw on tape, but you also see some of the spectacular catches but some easy drops too. So he mm. needs to be more consistent catching the ball. Uh, but uh, I see him making the team, and then definitely Mock will be the starter. And then your guy, Payne Durham. Yeah, how do you look? The tight end out of uh, Purdue. Yeah, it's a little bit uh, of a loper, if that makes sense, getting up into routes. Uh, oh, not not intentionally. He's just a he's slow slow rev up. Yeah, he just like build up speed guy, right. long strider, but uh, very good, uh, very good catching radius, and should be a reliable target as a backup for them. Yeah, they have Kate Otten as their tight end and Co. Keith there as well. So there's a chance for Payne to make the team. It's not a uh, stellar tight end group, to be honest. No, it's not. I didn't want to say that, but I'll let you say it. And finally. Uh, Lige, our guy, Lige Dusable's guy who we talked up and you gave him a hard time about Jose Ramirez out of Eastern Michigan. Did you see anything from him or, or not yet? Yeah, no, they were, they were excited about him. Yeah, take that Rick. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll see. He, he, but the guy that was getting reps with the ones was, uh, Yaya Diaby. Another they're, Louisville guy. Yeah. They're very excited about him. Why does Louisville defense? So why are they so terrible? They had Diaby. They had, uh, you see Abdullah. They couldn't make plays. That's great. He, I liked him a lot. He uh, ended up being the, their third-round pick out of Louisville. And so yeah. they're, they're hired him? Yeah, they uh, he rotated in with the ones. Servasia. Uh, yeah, Dennis out of Pitt, the yeah, linebacker. Good special team player, but he's flashed down there. 
And then the guy that I think has an opportunity to be there starting Nick, and he was lined up with the ones, was Christian Ising. Oh, right. I forgot about a guy, Christian Ising. He played with Christian Braswell at Rutgers. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, they listed him at safety, but he lined up in the slot corner and uh, also received reps with the first unit defense. But by doing that, that gives them the flexibility to make Antoine Winfield back at safety. Last year, Winfield played some corner too, or some Nick, but his natural position's at safety. So he'll be full-time safety. And if Christian Izing can continue to come on like he has been, and he showed up at practice during the mini camp, and he's carried that over through this training yeah. camp. 5'8", 197, and when you watch him on tape, he didn't look like he was 5'8". He looked like a, a bowling ball out there. He was thick. Yeah, he's a thick player, very quick twitched, loves to hit, and uh, very explosive in his movements. And don't be surprised, like I said, if he's one of those college free agents that ends up making a name for himself. Did you get to talk to your your guy, um, Antoine Winfield? Yeah, we did. We had him on the air. Oh, uh, good. Talked about when uh, he was in – sitting in my house with uh, my son and went through a little bit of old times <laughs> on that, on that high school team that only lost one game in four years. Well, he left because uh, he ended up playing down in Houston high school, but from third, fourth grade, all the way through till we had to move. Uh, he was, yeah, he was at the house all the time, man, Antoine Winfield, Jermaine Johnson, Prince staying, they all hang out <laughs> with the Rick Spielman. Uh, I was telling my wife that story about Prince. She's like, what? He went to Prince's house? I said, no, he's friggin', uh, he's, uh, what's his name? He's Charlie Murphy. All right, let's take a quick break, come back. We're going to rip through some rookies who are having standout campaigns around the league right after this. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. On May 23rd... I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? <laughs> Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. I have visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not going to survive this. Evil, the final season. Streaming May 23rd, only on Paramount Plus. All right, Rick, we're going to rip through these players from around the league, guys that we talked about for months and months leading up to the draft. So give me uh, – we've got 10 minutes, so you give me your your shortish answers about these guys unless you have something to say that's a little longer. I'd imagine this first player you're going to talk for 10 minutes on solely. But let's get started with your guy, Bryce Young, named QB1. We'll start in the preseason opener. Are you all surprised that Frank Reich, the first-year coach in Carolina, has Bryce as his starting quarterback? No, not especially if you move up in the draft to get him. And I know the mental makeup on this kid and the maturity of this kid and just reading some of the clips on him and then how he walks into that huddle and even the vets are listening to him and commanding the attention, uh, which is pretty rare for a rookie quarterback, but that's your team leader. And 
sounded like the other day at practice, just talking to some people, he had a bad day or the offense didn't have a great of day, great as great of day as he, they've had in the past. And he uh, gathered everybody up like he's been there five or six years as a veteran quarterback and uh, kind of rallied the troops a little bit. So all the makings of a franchise quarterback, except for the height, uh, <laughs> I'm anxious to uh, to see him play in uh, in the first preseason game. Because what is what does he weigh? Two hundred and three pounds. Two oh three. That's what he weighs. <laughs> hey, let me ask you this: in terms of talking to all three of these quarterbacks during the draft process, it, I don't know I, how can I phrase this. Who struck you as the best leader in terms of temperament and handling? Everything that comes to being a franchise quarterback. Was it Bryce? Was it Mac Jones? Was it Tua? All the guys that came out of Alabama consecutively. I would say uh, Bryce. Yeah. Yeah, just because of the maturity level and the ability. Because he's not a rah-rah guy. He just tells you how it is. Oh, it right. His demeanor and mannerisms, you don't have to be a rah-rah guy. You just have that aura about you. Right. Like When you're around him, he comes across almost as, I won't say soft-spoken, but there's a sense that, He's in command, but you don't have to be a rah-rah yeller and screamer. Well, because there, there are quarterbacks that we talked to through the pre-draft process that felt like they were trying to act the way that they were expected to act. And Bryce, you didn't get that sense. No, just, well, is, I did. Bryce Young, I didn't. Right. You said it, not me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Uh, another quarterback that we actually grew to like during the pre-draft process, who's having a pretty good run of things here early in, in training camp, C.J. Stroud. Second overall pick of the Houston Texans. Multiple days taking all first-team reps. Of course, they drafted Davis Mills in round three a few years ago. I feel like you're starting C.J. Stroud, but are we there yet at that point in the conversation? I think that's what the move – that's why they make this type of move. They want to start to get him ready as quickly as they can. If he was struggling up to that point, they may not have pushed it. But I think that he is physically – more gifted and it was funny i was watching some of the dbs in our future podcast on defensive backs yep uh watching penn state watching uh, some of the other and some of the throw throws that he made cj stroud you go back and you forget how good a quarterback this kid is right. now it was the mental part of it but he seems to be catching on so they're going to start force feeding him giving him the number one wet reps to get him ready for the opener. And it seems like everything they're throwing at him uh, that he's been able to handle. So Bryce and CJ were the first two quarterbacks taken. The 10th quarterback taken, Doreen Thompson Robinson. And I went back and looked at my notes before the Hall of Fame game on Thursday night. And the first thing I wrote down is a tough player who will bust his ass to block for his teammates. Good athlete. He moves well in the pocket. Has to improve accuracy and decision-making, but sometimes doesn't throw with a lot of anticipation to tight windows. So we saw all those things in the Hall of Fame game. I thought he had a good game, and clearly he's going to be the backup to Deshaun Watson. Is there a chance that he could overtake Josh Dobbs um, or even Kellen Mond for this, the number yeah, two job? I think so. The way that he showed up in that game now was a Hall of Fame game. It was the second half. You know, he's playing against the rest of the Yardbirds out there. Yardbirds. Uh, <laughs> that uh, may not make an NFL roster. So, uh, but – to come out and have to, you know, first impressions make a uh, a very good impression. Uh, what what he was able to do on that Hall of Fame game. So it'll be interesting to see how he continues. To, he'll get more and more reps in the preseason. It'll be interesting to see if he can continue to show what he showed in that Hall of Fame game. More impressive, Dewan Jones, who 
was a grown man out there. He blocked out the sun, which we knew he could do. Didn't look winded. He played a lot of snaps. I think you have to be pretty ecstatic about his performance if you're the Browns. Yeah, no, he played well. Um, looks like he got in shape. Uh, he had the one holding call on the screen down the field. But other than that, uh, he was pretty impressive. So it'll be interesting to see how he continues. But just remember, he it, it's good first impressions, but sometimes uh, a leopard doesn't change his spots. And You're really concerned about this this hamburger habit. Concerned about 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 him. All right. Well, we'll see. Good first start for him, though. So that's great. Um, I mentioned Dorian Thompson Robinson was the tenth out of fourteen quarterbacks taken. Uh, a young man taken. Young man. There we go. A few sure few few, few uh, quarterbacks before him. A surprise to a lot of people. I think you were surprised too. I know I was. Stetson Bennett. And he is a 38-year-old rookie. He's not 38. He's just been around forever. But he's had a, a good camp with with um, with Los Angeles. We know that Matthew Stafford's going to be the guy there. Brett Rippon's also in camp. Stetson has a chance to be the number two guy there, right? Yeah. Well, I don't. Yeah, Rippon's just a, a guy, in my opinion. Okay. Um, but he's experienced. He's been on a big stage. He's performed well on the big stage. So I imagine jumping to the NFL uh, is not a huge jump for him as far as being under the bright lights and performing under the bright lights. So I'm anxious to watch him during preseason and see how he performs. But a lot, you know, even like last year, remember uh, Skylar Thompson at Miami uh, came in and had a very good preseason and everybody was crowning him the king of yep. the future down there. And then sometimes you come back to reality when the uh, real game starts. Right, and goes back to your original point at the top of the podcast about you can dominate training camp, even a preseason game, but NFL regular season isn't like college. It's going to be a huge learning curve. Uh, one player that I would expect to have zero in terms of learning curve is B. John Robinson, the eighth overall pick. Listed as a running back. Debo, I don't know if you're able to show the the Twitter clip you put into the rundown. I don't know if that's legal or not, but if so, it just shows – that Bijan's going to be more than a running back. We talked about Jameer Gibbs as as being obviously the the Christian McCaffrey of this draft class. I think Bijan is going to impress a lot of people, Rick, with his ability to run routes and catch the ball coming out of the backfield and giving Des Ritter even another weapon. So I'll ask you the question again. We got Drake London. We got Kyle Pitts. We got Bijan Robinson. Des Ritter has to step up. Yeah, and he's got playmakers around him. They were able to run the ball last year, so it's not going to be him throwing the ball all over the yard 45, 50 times a game, but he does have playmakers around him, all young, all are going to mature and grow together. So it may not look the same at the beginning of the season as it does at the end of the season. By that, I think they're going to continue to improve as the season goes along. But uh, we'll find out a lot about Desmond Ritter this year, and he's the future of the uh, of the uh, Atlanta Falcons. So if you're watching on YouTube, this is a clip I was talking about with Bijan. It's from Falcoholic Kevin, if you're on Twitter. I mean, I would imagine that's a linebacker trying to cover him, but he put, his, he put his foot in the ground, and that's a wrap right there. I mean, and no. you have to be excited about that if you're – That's why they drafted him, not as a running back, but as an offensive weapon. Yeah. There's and, a prime example of that, working out of the slot, getting matched up with a linebacker, and that linebacker, I don't care who it is, has no chance. <laughs> 
<laughs> Except for my, I, I, Micah Parsons, maybe. I'm afraid of Micah Parsons, so he can do anything he says he can do. <laughs> but yeah, that's uh, that's obviously going to be a big part of that offense. All right. Uh, another potential big part of an offense is in New York with the Giants. Jalen Hyatt, third-round pick. We talked about him as possibly a late first-round buzz. Had a chance to chat with him uh, at the at the Combine. I, I liked his, to use a Rick word, his grit. Rick, you had concerns about the pre-draft process about why there was only one-year productivity. The other side for me was, well, he took advantage of the opportunity. He's taken advantage of the opportunity so far in New York. I think they're going to be a much improved offense even after last year with Brian Dable as uh, Danny Dimes continues to grow into that role. They drafted your guy, John Michael Schmitz, to play center. He's going to start there. But a wide receiver, they have Hodgins, who they got uh, from the practice squad, I believe, in Buffalo. They have Darius Slayton. But Jalen Hyatt, who is an absolute burner and has been tearing up camp, has a chance to be that sort of Mike Wallace run nine routes type guy early on. And uh, I would imagine you think he's going to have that sort of impact in terms of affecting defenses early on. Yeah. And don't forget they added uh traded for Waller. And, oh, yeah. The, but, the best player on the team, Darren Waller, by the way. <laughs> and, uh, Paris Campbell. So and they'll be interested to see uh, if Robinson and Shepard come off and when they come off. So I think they definitely improved that receiver room. But Everything is, you know, showing signs that he's going to give them and explode them that explosive playmaker down the field that they were missing. So, I'll be excited. I'm uh, heading out here in about 20 minutes, at the most, uh, to uh, see Detroit and the Giants practice against each other the next two. Oh, days. great! It'll All be, right, uh, it'll be exciting to see a lot of these rookies that Detroit has because they're going to be a lot of impact guys for Detroit and a lot of rookies are going to get a significant play time. It'll be interesting to see Hyatt and Banks and all those guys, the rookies up there. The other interesting thing I was going to see if Thibodeau, we were talking about Trayvon Walker making a jump. Let's see. Anxious to see Thibodeau go up against who I think is a very underrated, but maybe one of the uh, better offensive lines in the league is the Detroit Lions. And so Penny Sewell against Thibodeau should be fun matchup. To watch up there. I don't know if they're underrated, Rick. They're a really good offensive line, but I take your point. All right, let's talk about the, the Seahawks who have absolutely cr- crushed the draft. Uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba has been balling out. Uh, DK Metcalf said he looks like he's already been here for two, three years with the way he runs his routes. We knew he was a great route runner and the way he's picked up this offense. Uh, Devin Witherspoon, who was the fifth overall pick, the cornerback. I was talking about him on HQ last week, and he is mouthing off and making plays, which is basically what the scouting report was on him, helping out the run, breaking up pass plays down the field. you got to be pretty excited about these two players if you're John Schneider and Pete Carroll. Yeah, just like last year's class, I think these two are going to have a major impact. So it's nice to have two first-round picks this year again to add to what they already were able to accomplish last year in the draft. And there is no question. The question was Smith and Jigba didn't play much last year because of the hamstring. Um but there's no question if you go back that you can almost argue he may not be as fast as uh, Alave or uh, Wilson, yeah. Uh, but he is just as productive and maybe a better route runner than any of them. All right, let's talk about one more guy. I won't let you talk about Will Anderson this this podcast. You already spoke highly of him, but let's go to Minnesota and talk about another guy we like, Jordan Addison. They drafted him uh, to help fill the role of Adam Thielen, who is now in Carolina. Obviously, he's going to play opposite Justin Jefferson. Kirk Cousins is – he catches a lot of guff, but he's probably one of the most underrated quarterbacks in the NFL. Uh, I think he currently leads active quarterbacks in completion percentage, if I recall correctly. How much spillover can Jordan Addison expect with all the attention that Justin Jefferson is going to get? Yeah, he's going to get a lot of 
I think balls thrown his way. They still have playmakers. I mean, still defenses have to worry about TJ Hawkinson as well. Yep. Uh, but Jordan Addison's another very talented route runner, um, excellent hands. Um, you know, probably would have went higher if he ran faster. Uh, yeah, four four seven is slow apparently. Yeah, for for a guy that's a little bit undersized. Yeah. So, but if he ran as fast as he drives his car sometimes. Oh boy, there it is. <laughs> so I'm noticing that he's not listed um as as returner. Is that by design? Because he was he excelled as returner. Yeah, okay. They got Rager there. Uh so they have a couple returners and a kid we drafted, a running back out of Iowa State a few years ago as a kickoff returner that's had a pretty productive career as a kickoff returner. But okay. Uh, Addison was injured most of OTAs and minicamp didn't practice much. So there wasn't a lot of buzz about him. And then training camp came around. And I think that, uh, yeah, he'll definitely have an impact uh, with the Vikings this year, especially with everybody getting their attention on Justin Jefferson and probably TJ Hawkinson. And so uh, if he can step up and make plays, then that's going to help uh alleviate some of the pressures that Justin Jefferson getting triple teamed is 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 probably going which will probably happen until Addison steps up. All right, Rick, you gotta go catch a flight, going to Detroit, see your brother, see the Lions, see the Giants. That's a wrap on episode 69. Remember, give us a thumbs up if you're watching on the old YouTubes and subscribe to the old podcast. I uh, leave a five-star review. Thanks as always to my guy Rick. Thanks to Devo for producing and thanks to all you guys out there who watch and listen. We'll be back next Thursday or this Thursday for more summer scouting school talking defensive line and linebackers. See you guys then. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. You ready, Bob? Well, all right. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, One Love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount+.